Be back again. Uh, just a couple of quick housekeeping things. I apologise, I will not be rapping today. Uh, that was like a one and done thing, so sorry about that. Uh, and the other thing is, in my inability to prepare for things well, uh, there's nothing in your handouts, like no outline. So the good news is you can kind of write your notes wherever you want and however much you want. Uh, the bad news is there's no headings, so if you follow along with the slides, you'll see some headings there. Anyway, that's out of the way. Yesterday morning, I was at Sydney Markets. I'm part of a, like a fruit and veg co-op with some people that I live with. So I was there, I was doing my fruit and veg shopping. Um, I'd done all my shopping, my car was packed. I had to go return my trolley. And when you return the trolleys, you get like your couple of bucks deposit back. So there's two bucks, had to walk from one end of the market to the other, back to my car. And I was walking with these two bucks. I'm like, what am I going to spend these two bucks on? I can't really buy much because everything's sold by the box. And two bucks isn't going to buy 40 apples or 12 broccoli or something like that. Uh, there was a guy just selling individual punnets of strawberries, but even that was like three bucks fifty, so I couldn't get that. Um, the best I could do was a bunch of basil. And uh, I don't know how many people wanted like three leaves of basil each. So it didn't get me very far. Now, if, was, if I was in a supermarket, I might have had more luck. Might have been able to buy a couple of bananas, or maybe like a chocolate bar if I'm feeling so inclined. Uh, maybe like a pack of noodles. That'd be pretty good. But even still, two bucks is not going to last me very long. I might get a, it might be a bit of a snack and that's it. I don't know if it would even be a full meal. But the World Bank tells us that those living in extreme poverty live on less than $1.90 per day. Less than $1.90 per day. That is almost nothing. When we hear this, oftentimes we're moved to care for these people, to care for those who live on $1.90. It feels right to have compassion on them and to donate to them through charity uh, or through some other means. We want to look after them and care for them when we hear these things. The question is, why? Why are we moved to care for these people? Why is it that Christians care for the poor? Why don't Christians just give them the gospel, knowing that's their bigger need? What does the Bible say about caring for the poor? Well, today we're going to look at those questions and hopefully we're going to come to some answers. But what I really want you to understand is that the answer to these questions isn't simply God tells us to. It's actually deeper than that. There is a deeper answer and a deeper motivation for our compassion and generosity to the poor. So how about I pray for us as we get into it? Father God, please open up our eyes and open up our hearts to receive your word to us today and to see those around us who we need to show compassion on. Father, help us to have focused minds now and attentive hearts to hear. Please transform us by your word and help us to live ever more like Jesus. Amen. Alright, so when the Bible talks about the poor, it actually means something a little different than when, what we might expect today. Um, so the Bible actually has three different ways of talking about the poor, three different ways of doing them. The first one is those who live without the resources they need, those who live without the resources they need to get by. We'll call these the economically poor, they're economically poor. So you may be thinking, uh, 
kids who are starving in Africa, that kind of poor. But it's, it's a bigger, bigger idea than that. Let me give you an example. In Israel, in ancient Israel, where uh, God's people lived in his land under his rule, uh, there was laws. And one of those laws was that a foreigner couldn't own land. God had given Israel the land and he divided the land among all of Israel and so there was no land left for foreigners to own. The land was owned by families and tribes and nations. And so if you were a foreigner in Israel, you had no land. And if you had no land, you had no farm. And for a society that where 90% of the people were farmers, that's a big problem. You don't have access to making money like other people. And it is foreigners who are often called poor. They're disadvantaged. They can't easily make a wage. And so they're called poor. And this, this kind of shows us the principle that the Bible's working with. It's not simply saying that those who are poor are those who work on $1.90 per day. The Bible says those who are poor are those who are vulnerable. They're economically vulnerable. The foreigner is vulnerable because of his disadvantage in earning a living. And there are stacks of other people who fall into this category in the Bible. Orphans and widows, they're both called poor because they don't have the family who would normally care for them and support them. They can't earn a living as easily as other people or they're more likely to lose their living and so they're called poor, even if they have a home, even if they have food on the table. And so in the Bible, it's the economically vulnerable who are called poor. Now, this is really helpful for us because today in church, as we look around, we don't really see anyone who's malnourished. We don't see people who we might normally consider poor in this building with us right now. We don't really see someone who's homeless, although it'd be wonderful if people like that would join us. I'm sure we would love to care for them. But if we consider that being poor is someone who's economically vulnerable then when we look around church, we see plenty of people who fit this category. The single parent fits this category. The guy who just lost his job. Those who are physically disabled or mentally ill are all their own kind of economically vulnerable. They are the poor, not because they have no money and not because of anything they have done, but because of their situation, they are more vulnerable than others. And thinking of poor as being vulnerable actually shows us that one day you might not be poor, but the next you could be. I go to college in Newtown and there's this tattoo parlour just across the road from college. And so I, like, I walk past it every day. And last week, or sorry, the week before last, I walked past it and it was there, it was fine. The guy was in there doing his thing, tattooing people, uh, drawing cool things on them. But the next I walked past it and it burned down. The whole place was boarded up. There were scorch marks all around. This man had just lost his business. One day, this man was fine, not having to worry about money. But the next, he had become economically poor. Yes, he still had a home. Yes, he still had money to feed his family. But he'd become far more vulnerable. He needed care. Now, all this isn't to say that we should care about these people and not those who have no food and not those who live on a dollar ninety a day. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, yes, they are poor, but so are these other people. We need to have this bigger picture of poverty in our mind. 
That way we will be able to care for the people close to us as well as far from us. Care for those who are around us, but not at the expense of those who are far from us. Now, I said there's roughly three categories. We looked at the first one, it's economically poor, and I'm sorry I have to use words like economically, that's way too fancy for me, but it helps us distinguish from the rest. The second one is the spiritually poor. So first, economically poor are those who are vulnerable. Second, the spiritually poor. Now, these are people who are poor before God, and so they're spiritually poor. They're poor before God because they have nothing to earn their salvation. They have nothing to earn their salvation. They have nothing to earn God's favour. This has nothing to do with money. It has to do with their standing before God. But here is the category, here's the problem with the category, is that everyone is spiritually poor. Every single person is spiritually poor. Sin has robbed us of any favour before God. Because of our sin, we have nothing. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all spiritually poor. So the question is, do you recognise your own spiritual poverty? Do you really believe that where you stand before God is in bankruptcy? We have nothing. We are poor. We need a saviour. Do we recognise this? Do we know this? Do we believe this? It's a very humbling thing to believe. And it is not what the world will tell you. The world will not tell you that you are spiritually poor. They will say you're spiritually healthy. They'll say you have plenty to offer God. You're a good person. Everyone's basically good. Yeah, there's a few bad apples, but we don't worry about them. The world would have you believe that you are fine, but they're wrong. If we think about it, we know they're wrong. If I'm a good person, then how come I lie so often? If I'm a good person, how come I have bad relationships? If I'm a good person, how come I had really cruel thoughts about that person who cut me off on the way to church today? The answer to those questions is, we're not good people. I'm not a good person. I am spiritually poor. I am bankrupt before God. I have nothing to offer Him, nothing to earn His favour or His salvation. So it's a really, really good thing that we have a God who loves the poor. It is a good thing we have a God who loves the poor. Because you see, all through the Bible, God overflows with compassion on the poor. It just, it pours out of him how much he loves the poor. He protects them. He uses them to achieve amazing things. He lifts them out of their poverty. God constantly favours the economically poor in the Bible. Let me give you a bunch of examples. Uh, Consider Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve had sinned and God had laid out his punishment on them and he banished them from the garden, they had nothing. They had absolutely nothing. In fact, they were naked and ashamed in front of one another. But it's in that state that God does this. Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Even though God is punishing them, He provides for them. He has compassion and mercy and so He gives them clothes. Another example of God's compassion is in the law. So, Like I mentioned before, God's people in God's land, they lived under God's law. And God's law 
had lots of things that provided for, cared for, looked out for those who were economically poor. The stacks, I'll just give you one. And I think this one is a good example of the kind of laws I'm talking about. So Israel, when they're harvesting their crops, remember I said they're farmers, so when they're all harvesting their crops, God says, don't harvest all the way up to the edge of the field, hang back a little bit, leave a little bit right on the edge. And so that way, when the poor come out, after you're finished, they can pick some food for themselves. They can get their own food. That's God's compassion. The poor can have some of the leftovers there so that they don't starve. God's compassion was built into His law and His law helped Israel care for one another. Another example comes from Proverbs. We recently finished reading Proverbs together and we saw that Proverbs, they're observations about how life works. Uh, For example, uh, if I'm nice to someone, you can expect that they'd like me, but if I'm rude to someone, you can kind of expect that they wouldn't like me. It's a pattern, it's not always the case. But God has created the world, so He's created these patterns. And so those patterns reveal something about God. So when we look at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27, it reveals something about God. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. God's compassion is baked into the very universe, into how life works. God's compassion is such that if you give to the poor, you both benefit. But if you are stingy and tight-fisted and give nothing to the poor, then you'll get many a curse, whatever that might mean. You see, all through history, God is compassionate on the poor. And that is really, really good news for us. Because like I said earlier, we are all poor. We all suffer from spiritual poverty. And as much as God loves and has compassion on the economically poor, which we just saw He did, God has even more compassion on those who are spiritually poor. And this is where we come to Luke chapter 4, which Jess read for us earlier. So if you could flick over to Luke chapter 4, if it's not already open in front of you. And I'll start from verse 17. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me, what purpose? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus preaches good news to the poor, but He's not in the first instance, talking about the economically poor, he has in mind the spiritually poor. He preaches good news to those who have nothing of value to offer God. You see, we're stuck in our spiritual poverty and Jesus brings good news. We are blinded and in the dark by our spiritual poverty, but Jesus restores our sight. We are oppressed by sin, we are under its thumb, unable to escape, but Jesus sets us free. This is really, really good news. The problem is, right after Jesus reads this scroll and says that this scroll is fulfilled in his life, the people reject him. They pick him up, they carry him out of town and they try and throw him off a cliff. Jesus' good news wasn't for them because they rejected the good news. They said no to it. So who is Jesus' good news for? 
Well, this brings us to our third category of poor in the Bible. Remember the three? First, the economically poor, those who are vulnerable economically. Then the spiritually poor, which is everyone. It means we have nothing to offer God to earn our salvation. Well, the third kind, and this is for lack of a better term, I'm sorry, but it's the religiously poor. The third kind of poverty is the religiously poor. To be religiously poor is to recognise your poverty, to recognise you have nothing to offer God. And then in response to that, to turn humbly towards God in dependence, to realise your low state and come to a mighty God and trust in Him, depend on Him, repent and follow Him. This is the type of poor that Jesus has in mind. This is the poor that Jesus preaches good news to, to the religiously poor. And so the question is, are you this third kind of poor? Do you recognise your spiritual state and do you respond appropriately to God? Some people, they recognise their spiritual poverty and they run from God. They have nothing to offer God and so they run from Him. But for us, we need to turn to God to be humble and lowly and repentant and to depend on Him for everything. The reason why we have to keep fighting that lie that we are good people, that lie that the world tries to tell us at every moment, the reason we fight it is, A, because it's wrong, it's a lie, it's not the truth, but B, because if we think we are good, what use do we have for God's salvation? If we, if we think we're good, why do we need God? If we have plenty to offer God, what does He have to offer us? To think that we are good and to be religiously poor at the same time is impossible. You can't do both of those things. Someone might say they believe both those things, but really deep down they don't. So we have to recognise our spiritual poverty. We have to be humble and lowly before God or we will never escape from our true poverty. Now, it's often the case that in the Bible, those who are economically poor, they're the ones who are religiously poor. There's something about their life circumstances where they realise in their need and their dependence on others that they need their dependence on God. They recognise this. And so, while Jesus is mainly speaking about good news in terms of spiritual poverty, he also has in mind economic poverty. Jesus does have good news to those who are economically poor. God's salvation means that one day, those who are poor will live in abundance with God forever. They'll never lack anything they need again. They'll never have to harvest leftovers from the field. They'll never be oppressed by the rich and the powerful. This is what Luke says in Luke chapter 6. So, a couple of pages across. Sorry, this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. If you flick over to Luke chapter 6, verse 20, this is Luke's recording of Jesus speaking the Beatitudes. So, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, that's very similar. In Luke chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus says this. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who, are hung, who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, 
when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. In heaven there'll be no more hunger. In heaven there'll be no more weeping, no more hatred just because you follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't promise release from economic poverty now. Although he might do that, he's powerful and he can do that. But the relief Jesus is promising comes in heaven. And so there's this amazing hope held out to those who are poor. Trust in Jesus. Although you might not be rescued now, you will be in abundance in heaven forever. So today, what does this mean for us? How do we show compassion to the poor? Well, if we're saved, we've experienced God's ultimate act of compassion. He has rescued us from our spiritual poverty. Even though we have nothing, God has given us everything. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 puts it pretty clearly. There it is on the screen. Have a read with me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. For our sake Jesus became poor, so that we could be made rich. That's God's compassion on us. And God's compassion, it transforms us. It makes us new. It makes us rich, so that we can make ourselves poor for the sake of others. God fills us with compassion, and so that compassion needs to overflow from us to the poor. The biggest need that people have is their spiritual poverty. There's no denying that. People's eternity is on the line. So we need to have compassion on those who are spiritually poor. To do this, we have to have spiritual eyes. Spiritual eyes that see people's spiritual selves and their spiritual poverty. We need to look around and we need to see that people are either going to heaven or hell. That's what we need to see when we see people on the street, when we're driving in traffic. But it's really easy to lose sight of this reality. It's really easy to forget and get caught up in this world. I know someone who once visited some pastors in South Africa. While he was there, he was driving through the city with one of the pastors. And while they're doing that, they're, they're kind of reflecting on how um, one part of the city was one of the biggest slums in South Africa. You had millions of people there living in absolute poverty, terrible conditions, humiliating conditions, barely able to survive. But kind of right across the street were these nice, quiet, middle-class suburbs. And so this, this guy, he asked the pastor he was with, how do you day by day live knowing that there's such extreme poverty right next door? How do you get by knowing that people are suffering like that? And, and the pastor he was with says something along the lines of, you know, we kind of just get used to it. You kind of forget it's there. It becomes part of the background noise and you learn to tune it out and so you can get on with your day-to-day -day life. Well, that's exactly what it's like for us. Except they have this big, physical, easy-to-see reminder that there are poor there. And even then they forget. We don't have that physical reminder. We have to have spiritual eyes. But it's so easy for us to forget. So we need to pray. We need to ask God that he would show us the spiritual reality surrounding us. That we would see people who are going to heaven and going to hell and we'll be moved to care for them. 
One thing that we might pray for to help us have these spiritual eyes is we might specifically pray for people that we know. Maybe today after the service or when you get home or at some point in the next, well, before you go to bed, it would be a really good idea to get out a piece of paper or get out your phone or get out whatever might be helpful and write down three names, three names of people you see regularly, people who don't know Jesus and commit to praying for them. Pray for them every single day. Pray that you would be bold and you would make opportunities to talk to them about Jesus and about the good news he has for them. Pray that God would help you speak well, to speak the truth and speak it with compassion and with love. It would only take a minute to do, a minute to think of these people and a minute to pray for them. Your prayer might be something like, Father God, I pray for Jimmy, James and Joe. I pray that you'd help me when I see them at lunch today, tell them that you love them. Help me to speak the truth with compassion. Amen. That's it. One minute, you're done. If you did that every day, whenever you saw them, you would be seeing their spiritual reality. You would be reminded that they need the good news of Jesus. Now, having said this, having said that we need to care for the spiritually poor, it actually leaves us with the same question we had at the start. If people's biggest need is their spiritual poverty... Do we just worry about that and not worry about the economic poverty? Do we not worry about people who are suffering in that way? Well, yes, it's true that people's biggest need is their spiritual poverty, but that doesn't mean God doesn't care for people's economic poverty, which means we too should care for people's economic poverty. The way God shows his compassion on people today is through us Christians. God shows his love through the works that Christians do. The question is, who do we care for then? Who? Remember, I said it's a big, it's a broad category. We've got people close to us who are poor. We've got people far away who are poor. What do we do? It can be overwhelming. And the simplest answer is, yeah, we care for everyone. Every single one of them we care for. But God doesn't expect us to be able to solve poverty ourselves. God doesn't expect us to care for everyone equally. The Bible has this concept where you are more responsible to the people you are more connected to and you are less responsible for the people you are less connected to. That's why in the New Testament we're told that uh, family members should care for their own elderly and if the family can't care for the elderly, then yes, the church will start to care for them. But it's the idea where the family is the closest unit and so they are responsible first and foremost to care for themselves. So there's this connection thing. We see the kind of opposite example in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's so shocking in the first instance because when this man is lying bloodied and beaten and dying on the side of the road, it's the two people who are most closely connected to him who ignore him and walk the other way. It's his two countrymen who have a responsibility to care for him who ignore him. And then it's his enemy, it's the Samaritan who comes along who is barely connected to him at all who cares for him. And that all goes to show that we should care for the people we're connected to. We have a responsibility to care for them. But it is still good to care for those who are less connected to. Our responsibility is less, but it's not like it's not there at all. So this idea of connection shows us two things. The first one is that we absolutely need to care for the people here at church. 
We need to care for the people who are here in this room and we need to care for the people who normally would be but aren't today for whatever reason. There are people here who are economically vulnerable and who are economically poor. People who have lost their jobs or even families who have just given birth to new children. There's single parents, people suffering from sickness, people injured, whatever it is, there are people in our midst who are economically poor. It's not like they don't have a house and they don't have food, but they are struggling. We as a church should be caring for them. We need to care for them. And this is where CGs are so important and so good. CGs are an amazing thing. If you don't know what a CG is, it's a community group. It's a small group. They meet together during the week. They come together to pray and read the Bible. But one of the biggest things and most important things they do is they care for one another. It's in these groups we can show radical care for the people who are around us. We can become poor for the sake of people in these groups. Imagine a CG where if someone had just lost their job, the group decided that, you know what, they're going to cook three meals a week for them. And so they make a roster, three people a week, turn up at their door with a meal, hot, ready to go, and when they're there, they say, hey, mate, how are you going? Have you had any luck finding jobs? How are you feeling? Do you want someone to eat this meal with? You know, if you want, we can just sit on the couch, watch Netflix and eat together. Or we can pray together and read the Bible together over dinner. Isn't that a group that you'd love to be a part of? A group that cares for one another? Or what about someone in the group, they need their car for their job, but they're in an accident and the repairs cost too much, they can't afford it. Wouldn't it be great to be part of a group where they, you know, sent the hat around and everyone chucked in a few dollars to help pay for this guy's car to be repaired? so he could go back to work. Wouldn't it be amazing to be part of that group? With no expectation of being paid back at all. That would be amazing. They're the kind of groups that we want to work towards. And to be those groups, we need to genuinely care for one another, which means being at group, getting to know the group, loving the group, all those kind of things. But what about those we're less connected to? The first thing is we need to care for those we're connected to. But what about those we're less connected to? Well, our responsibility is still there, but it's far less. And so it's good for us to help these. It's good for us to care for those we're less connected to. So if we're thinking about people who are all across the globe, even people in Australia who need to be cared for, this is where charity organisations are just really, really helpful for us as Christians. Charity organisations allow us to use our resources, our money, our whatever it may be, time, to care for others who are not immediately close to us. But we, we do have to be careful, right? We can't just give our money away to any old organisation. We have to be thoughtful and informed with our choices. And so before committing to a charity, I really encourage you to do some thinking, do some digging, find out about them. Here's three questions you might ask of a charity before you give to them. One, how is the money I'm donating being spent? Does half of that get cut off the top to just run the organisation? Or do the person I'm donating to, do they get most of it, if not all of it? Two, does the charity care for the person spiritually? Yes, they have a real physical need, they need food, they need shelter, whatever it may be, education, clothes but they have the deeper spiritual need. And we need to care about that too. And so we want to support organisations that care about that too. Three, 
How does the community get impacted by the organisation I'm sponsoring? How does this person uh, that I'm sponsoring, how does that affect the community? What happens in the community? There's some questions. I've got more questions. If, if you want to know some, some more things to think about as you're giving to charity, you can feel free to chat to me or um, you know, chat to one another if you've got ideas. But one organisation that I think has really good answers to each of these three questions is Compassion, which we heard about before. We heard about little Ola, who's um, we've been uh, supporting for two years over at Kingsgrove with the kids' church there. Compassion is a great organisation. My wife and I, <coughs> excuse me, my wife and I, we support actually two children through Compassion. This morning I said one child and Jess corrected me. We actually support two children and I love Compassion. Compassion is an amazing organisation. Compassion are super open with their finances. If you pull out your phone and go to compassion.com, you are like three clicks away from seeing how they use all their money. It's just there, ready for the public to see how they use their money. And I think they use it really wisely. In fact, they've won awards because they use the money so wisely. They cut down on overheads and more of the money goes to the people in need. Compassion seek to lift kids out of economic poverty, but they also care for the spiritual life of these children. <coughs> Excuse me. They teach them about Jesus. They bring them along to Sunday school. They connect them to local churches. And in connecting them to the church, it impacts the whole community. Compassion impact the whole community through their work. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Compassion isn't the only organisation you can give to. There are others as well. Compassion kind of fits quite a niche need. Children in poverty who need help. There are other people to be generous to, but we have to be thoughtful about those organisations. Let me finish. We should be generous because God is generous to us. God has shown his generosity when we were spiritually poor. He poured his compassion out on us by sending his son Jesus by making Jesus poor so that we could be made rich. And we look forward to the day where there'll be no more poverty. In the meantime, though, we have the same compassion God has. <coughs> we make ourselves poor for the sake of others. How about I pray? <coughs>